It's been a long day, I guess. <laughs> it, 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 I gotta retire. Punchy I gotta retire to my retirement home in Animal Crossing, where I'm gonna pick turnips. <laughs> um, I'm gonna redo that. Hello. And thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and this week's episode was recorded on Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. So Adam, how are you doing this week? How are things? Uh, it's a good week. It's a big week. Lots of lots of news going on. Yeah, a lot of news. Um, and I was going to say, I feel like your uh, career is now going to be defined by trolls and Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it is true. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I already painted myself into a corner with uh, how much I've been talking about Animal Crossing. But it, so ha- happy to make it uh, something that I'm, I'm going to be work, we're working on uh, officially. Yeah. But um, more on that to come. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, Trolls World Tour has now um, established itself as something that we're going to be talking about for the rest of our careers. Yes. Um, so let that sink in. <laughs> uh, I honestly think it's 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 just fantastic. But we'll, we'll we will get to that career defining piece of. Uh, conversation in a in a minute. So on this week's episode, we have an excellent interview between UM's head of global innovation, Chad Stoller, uh, and Amy Huff, the head of global brand marketing and communications at Shopify. Chad sits down with Amy for a conversation about Shopify, their response to COVID-19, how they are currently working with small businesses and enterprise businesses. So stay tuned for that uh, later on in the show. But as for some follow-up from, from last week, uh, we had a great conversation all about live, and we had two major events happen after we recorded last week that really focused on that live media um, channel. So last night or last week, we saw Travis Scott uh, live in Fortnite, uh, and I saw a total of 28 million people in the game, plus millions more streaming on Twitch and YouTube, uh, which was super impressive. The production value there, I think, was next level. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, it was not... Uh... We don't really have a word for what it was. We're, we're calling it a concert, um, but it wasn't really live. It was pre-recorded and pre-rendered, um, and it sort of transported mm-hmm. the users around to different uh, worlds and different environments while a giant Travis Scott uh, performed in front of them. Uh, but it, it was a very, very cool new experience. You know, there's always kind of they're always experimenting with how to do those events inside of Fortnite, and this was uh, another leap forward. Then for all of our sports fans out there, the NFL Draft, they had their first ever, I guess, live stream event is the best way to describe it. Uh, And it drew an audience of about 55 million viewers over three days across the major channels of ABC, ESPN, NFL Network, uh, and ESPN Deportes, as well as some digital channels. Pretty solid for their their, uh, showing. Yeah, I had my fingers crossed that Travis Scott was going to beat uh, the NFL draft. Uh, it didn't happen yet, uh, but uh, maybe next year. <laughs> You're right. We'll see what happens next year. So first up, we have a bit of news from one of the clients that we work with. Uh, CVS has partnered with UPS uh, and will offer prescription drug delivery to Florida communities via drone, uh, which I think is super exciting. We're finally seeing uh, drones take flight uh, and be actionable uh, from a delivery perspective. There were a lot of tests that have been happening over the past years, notably uh, in the UK, I believe they were doing some deliveries and testing out there for for Amazon. Um, But I think this is the first real test that we're going to see happen here in the US. And I think, again, this is all because of uh, the current situation that we're in. It's allowed uh, for this kind of uh, test and regulation to be fast tracked um, across the different local municipalities that are that are down there. 
Yeah, you know, we, we we keep talking about the pandemic as a trend accelerator, and I think this is a, a perfect example, right? We all knew that we were going to get to drone delivery at some point in the future, uh, and now it's here, happening now, because in, in 2020, because it, it gives us a way to do uh, contact-free delivery um, in a really efficient way. So I, I think we'll see more uh, of these experiments uh, in, in other places and with other products. And for all of our drone nerds out there, uh, the company that will actually be doing the delivery that they're working with is called Matternet. Um, and they'll be using the Matternet's M2 drone uh, to make deliveries uh, to and from CVS pharmacies to this retirement community. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Really exciting development in the delivery space. Next up in the podcasting space, very meta piece of news for us here, uh, Anchor. Uh, which is owned by Spotify and again, a client here at UM and at the lab has announced a new podcast creation tool. Basically what it does is that it allows podcasters to uh, record episodes in Zoom, download the video, and then run the actual video file through uh, their new creator tool to parse out the video from the audio. And then that way you can just take that audio stream that you now have and make that into a podcast. Uh, so it's a super clever tool. Again, I think it's something that uh, the Anchor team continues to think about and innovate on the ways in which they can be the most creative, simplest way to start a podcast. Uh, so here they are again uh, with another great tool. Yeah, it's a great, you know, we're, everybody's spending so much time on uh, video conferences these days. It's great to make them available in another format. Some of those, some of that content might actually be better, uh, better presented uh, as, an, as an audio mm-hmm. format. And obviously a lot of, we have a lot of people uh, breaking into podcasting now using some of this time at home to start producing their own content. So Anchor has always had really good, easy to use tools for, for first time podcasters. And this is mm-hmm. just another, uh, another tool. Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking to make your first time podcast, low production anchor is the place to be. So definitely go check that out. Now, Adam, I think this is the the creme de la creme of the news here. <laughs> What's going on with Tro's World Tour? <laughs> I'm going to talk about this uh, in chronological order, so you can really appreciate uh, the the drama that has unfolded uh, in in Hollywood over the past couple of days. So on Tuesday, uh, uh, Universal, who is the uh, studio behind Tro's World Tour, they uh, gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal in which they disclosed um, that they made 95 million dollars in rental fees um, in the premium video on demand window that they had released Trolls World Tour in directly. Um, they, they released it in, in that PVOD window for twenty five for a $25 rental. And that happened at the same time uh, as its planned release in theaters on April 10th. Um, and as part of that interview, uh, the NBC Universal CEO, Jeff Schell, said, as soon as theaters re- reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. Thereby tossing a Molotov cocktail uh, <laughs> over the over the hill into Hollywood. Um, so almost immediately, the CEO of AMC Theaters issued a response um, that said that they would not be playing any future Universal movies, a policy that, quote, extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons current windowing practices, absent good faith negotiations between us. And then the owner of Regal Cinemas, uh, Cineworld, Ooh. the owner of Regal Cinemas, they jumped in and said that they were also um, on that bandwagon and would not be releasing Universal films uh, going forward. And then Universal started to um, think that maybe they were being a little too aggressive. They did try to roll it back a little bit. Um, and they, they did say that uh, the 
if, if they still believe in a theatrical experience and they accused AMC and the National Association of Theater Owners uh, of a seemingly coordinated attempt to, to, quote, confuse our position and our actions. Uh, which, of course, is not actually what happened. They actually did say uh, that they were going to start releasing um, uh, day and date uh, on PVOD services. So, you know, this is something that, uh, I, you know, right now those threats from AMC and Regal don't really mean anything because movie theaters are closed anyway. Um, so I suspect that a lot of this will actually get swept under the rug and figured out um, as uh, as theaters do start to reopen. Uh, I think Universal, you know, there's a lot of benefit to uh, still maintaining that theatrical experience, especially for your tentpole films that do turn a profit um, in theaters. But on the other hand, the economics are different. And, and now that people are used to uh, or, or the idea that that content is going to be available to them at home, um, we might see, I think we will see increasing demands for first day and date releases um, at home. The real question is, will AMC and Regal actually be able to not carry Universal films, uh, especially if any other studios jump into, into the same strategy? Uh, it might be untenable for them to hold that position. So um, we'll see how this plays out <laughs> later this year. Talk about COVID-19 as an absolute trend accelerator. This, this trend just went off a cliff. Like, my goodness. This started with like a... I would say a smaller yep. end animated movie, right? Not a big flagship film, but this is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a very big movie that I think a lot of theaters would be that upset about from a revenue generating perspective. However, this is kind of that first little piece of kindling that starts the whole fire that, you know, the studio starts to see the benefit of that direct to consumer um, opportunity and not having to go through like a windowing period. Yeah, and it, it, it's actually the perfect movie for this experiment because obviously it's targeted at families. It came out right after we started to go into quarantine. There was a huge spike in demand for for family content and content for kids. So you know, a lot of parents I think were more than happy to shell out those twenty five dollars mm -hmm. uh, to give them their kids something to watch. Um, I. I, I could see, I, I can see, you know, again, these non-tentpole, especially family-focused movies going a more direct-to-consumer mm -hmm. faster. Um, and again, I just don't know what the theaters really are going to do about it if, if enough of the studios make that decision. The other interesting point is that the split, the revenue split, looks different on uh, direct-to-consumer platforms, on on uh, on uh, VOD platforms, where in a theater, the, the studio usually, this is... Not, not true for Disney because nothing's true for Disney. Uh, but the studio usually <laughs> makes about 50, gets about 50% of that, that ticket price when you buy a ticket. On VOD, they get about 80% of the, of the mm. rental cost or the sale cost. So, the, you know, the economics are better for them. Um, and mm -hmm. they, everybody has been waiting for an excuse to break some windows. And uh, uh, this was a, a, a pretty good excuse. So I think that the question is, you know, again, how, how much do things go back to normal? Um, and and uh, mm -hmm. I think the, I think the most likely outcome is we see a lot of movies, maybe not every movie, but a lot of movies go day and date um, when we are able to reopen theaters. So we have one last bit of news that we're going to touch on. Uh, I think it's a perfect tee up for our, interview with Amy Huff from Shopify uh, is that Shopify has launched Shop. It's a new mobile app that has been a rebranding of their Arrive product, which allows consumers to track packages from Shopify merchants and other retailers. And the company says that it is actually launched with 16 million consumers already using the application. And so with that, uh, we're going to hand it over to Chad for an interview with Amy Huff from Shopify. So Chad, 
take it away. Thanks, Scott. So I'm here with Amy Huft, head of global brand marketing and communication at Shopify. And for those of you who don't know Shopify, Shopify is founded in 2004. It's based in Ottawa. So for 5,000 employees, I believe there's about a million merchants. And the last number that I saw, Amy, showed that $183 billion in goods and services have moved over the Shopify platform, which has now made you the number two uh, biggest e-commerce provider. Uh, or, you know, I think I think most people might have a guess as to who number one is, and uh, but I do think that a lot of people would be surprised to know that you're bigger than than eBay. So right. so clearly with a lot of merchants out there, you got to tell us who's your favorite merchant and what's the last thing you bought? Uh, great questions. Uh, there's a ton to choose from, but I, I always, when I get asked this question, feel like I have to name check um, a jewelry designer who's in, New, she has bricks and mortar in New York and LA, and she's on our e-commerce name, Anna Sheffield. She did my wedding rings. So I, I feel like we also got married on the same day. So I, f- I feel like I always have to give her due credit. Um, last thing I bought is actually, it's it's super interesting because it it indicates wh- what's happening right now with commerce. Um, I ordered some tulips actually to be delivered from a, a family-owned farm in New Jersey called Holland Ridge Farms. And uh, essentially, this is just a, a tulip farm that has a tulip festival every year, um, a sunflower festival every year. Obviously, this year they can't do those things because of COVID. So they quickly opened up a a very simple Shopify store. And and now they are for $10 delivering um, a group of 10 tulips, mystery colors to whoever wants them. So sort of a really interesting indication of the kind of pivoting that we're seeing on our platform with some of these small uh, businesses that are, were previously offline only. Well, you're, you're perfectly warmed up because this is the type of conversation that we're going to have today. I mean, there's probably no better time to talk about Shopify. And I think that a lot of people see Shopify because they, they understand Shopify mainly because either they've heard about it in the news or maybe there is some sort of continuity in the checkout process where people start to associate the fact that some of these stores may or may not be related. But if I was to give you 60 seconds, can you describe to me everything that Shopify is, knowing that clearly 60 seconds is not enough time? <laughs> the, the Shopify elevator pitch. Um, we we generally say Shopify is a a commerce solution, a global commerce solution that allows businesses of all sizes to transact, find their customers, and market sell manage their business from start to finish. So that's a probably not the most seamless elevator pitch, but that's generally what we say. But what, what, how would you pitch it to a store that's on Main Street, Main Street, USA? If you're just bricks and mortar, I would say, look, I mean, the, right now the world is changing, right? And so you can no longer have one channel. Um, we very much believe in the multi-channel solution for commerce, the way the world is, is changing and growing. And so I would say to Main Street, if you if you want your business to survive and thrive moving from 2020 on, then it's important to check Shopify out and look at all the different channels, whether that be e-commerce or whether that be through different platforms that we have relationships with. Well, uh, I'm going to take some general commentary as to what is out there in terms of how people talk about the company and how people talk about the company's position. But I truly believe that Shopify is the easiest way for a business to go online. And it's the easiest way for a physical store to develop an omni-channel type approach. And it's my hope that in this conversation today, we're going to talk more about digital transformation transformation from physical stores, uh, especially when we're talking about this particular climate today. So it's clear that Shopify has turned out to be an outlet for a lot of businesses to transform the way that they are interacting with customers and the way they are maintaining their business by going online. So 
I have to assume you've seen a nice uptick in the last six weeks. We have. Yeah, I think we've seen um, in the month of March, we have seen a 49% increase in global store creation on our platform. You know, that is likely due to exactly what you're talking about, offline businesses, traditional retail businesses that are have had to pivot and move quickly online. Uh, first, I'd love to ask, like, just in general, like, what kind of businesses are you seeing that that yeah. are that are making the leap? But then at the same time, are is a large percentage of these businesses existing businesses, or are these more entrepreneurs and people who maybe now are figuring out what is their digital sales side hustle? I think it's certainly some of that. I mean, of course, you know, unemployment as it keeps going up, we are seeing people who are need to find a new revenue stream, or they've had an idea for a long time. Now they find themselves with time on their hands. So we are seeing some of that, but predominantly it's the first. It is established businesses that did not have e-commerce or, you know, everything from we've seen butcher shops across the world who they're selling meat traditionally, like most butchers do uh, in bricks and mortar, and they can't do that anymore. So they spin up an e-com and now they're selling their meat to their local constituents online. So, you know, really service-based businesses, we're also seeing a lot of those come online. So one of the first things we did when COVID kicked in in North America is we allowed gift cards for all plans on our platform, which we previously didn't allow. So you're seeing a lot of businesses like hair salons, where traditionally did not necessarily need e-commerce, um, that are now selling selling gift cards for future services so they can stay alive. I think we sold we saw $13 million go through our platform in the month of March just in gift cards, which is basically at the level that we typically see around Black Friday. So what's interesting about that is that that is also not necessarily so much of just a new product offering. That is a new product offering that's in response to the, to the climate right now and yeah. for something that retailers need. So at the same time, and forgive me if this is a naive question, but I'm not a Shopify merchant, so I don't know this. Do you provide do you provide stores or retailers the ability to offer up curbside pickup, delivery windows, reservation systems, all of the things that people have to adapt to, especially as businesses start to reopen again? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the first, when when COVID really kicked in about mid-March, um, our, our CEO, Toby, had a town hall, kind of a state of the union. And what he said was, rip up all your plans, like rip up all your product roadmaps, like they don't matter. Everything we had planned to build for 2020 was irrelevant. Instead, what we had to do is fast track anything that we had on our product roadmap that was going to help the merchants right now. And the biggest thing was exactly what you're talking about. What are those features that are going to help retailers um, in this new retail environment survive? So uh, we do. we have POS hardware and software. Um, so we have fast-tracked features that we have been slowly releasing and actually are releasing the software version next week that are allow stores um, curbside delivery, buy online, pick up in store, appointment tracking, uh, even foot traffic monitors. So oh. when they open back up, they will be able through door monitoring to tell how many people are in their store and um, maintain whatever the restrictions are in terms of capacity. 
Like that—that's pretty exciting to hear because you're not now you're now you're not only just a transformation company, but now you're actually providing some some real assistance to almost help the economy get back online for when it comes to small, medium-sized businesses. So you had said to me the other day about how one of the things that Toby has been saying, and this this works so well with everything that we have been discussing, especially when it when it's with our clients or within the industry or just even our own internal conversations, is this overall theme of trend acceleration. But it sounds like Toby's even going a little bit further because I believe what you had said to me was that Toby is saying that t- uh, 2030 is going to be here in 2020. I mean, is, is this something that right now the entire company is 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 moving towards? Is this are you all in the same mantra? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his his theory is whatever innovation we were going to see, uh, particularly in the digital space and in the commerce space in 2030, is we're going to see it in 2020. Um, and I think you've see, we've seen it back in t- uh, 2008 with the recession. You saw a lot of businesses pop up, a lot of you know, an Airbnb, the gig economy started back then out of necessity. And I think we're going to see the same thing, but it's going to be much more focused on retail transformation, commerce transformation, and, and the digital economy. I think there's there's two there's two facts here, and the, and this is also something that we've had lots of conversations about. Is that trend acceleration becomes very interesting for the individual consumer because the consumer now, out of necessity, is being forced to change their behaviors, and so they may have resisted certain behaviors. Like one of them, for example, is just mobile payments. Right, there are people who just felt that it was uncomfortable to do Face ID, whether they had questions about it in all these variety of ways. But now you see everybody is picking up on mobile on mobile payments, and now they're seeing the benefit of that. At the same time, we're seeing people who have never done grocery with click to collect, and now they're seeing the benefit right. in that. So, do right. you anticipate that customers now are really moving forward at a faster rate, and businesses need to be prepared for this? Yeah, I think um, businesses have to adapt to what the customer needs are, and that those are the, the businesses that we think are going to survive, particularly um, the businesses who are a lot offline. If they don't adapt and find the consumers where the consumers are very likely predominantly going to be for the foreseeable future, which is online, then they won't survive. So, you know, our goal is to figure out how to help offline businesses get online as fast as possible, help them get their stuff from A to B. And whether that means local delivery, curbside pickup, or fulfillment, and help them remove the friction between that offline online experience so that it is one omni-channel solution. Right. And that's what customers are going to demand and need. Right, right. And at the same time, so businesses are also going to have to now realize that when they're competing in this world that has a, you know, a more sophisticated enablement, they're also going to need to understand how to attract customers in a different way. So one of the things, what I'd like to do is I want to shift this conversation into more of the ways in how you're enabling customers, because what I don't think people truly understand about Shopify is that there's a lot more in between the website and the checkout. There is yeah. a tremendous amount of services that you guys offer. And I think people are very surprised about it. You have everything from site creation, email marketing, search marketing. Nobody should ever have to talk to an agency if you're a small business. <laughs> that is true. Although we have a we have a pretty um, robust partner ecosystem that is everything from developers who build on our platform and build apps. We have an app store that has 3,700 apps to agency partners who help those businesses who can um, afford to bring a partner on, customize and build their site for whatever their needs are. Because the whole philosophy behind Shopify is that it is super simple, as you said. Anybody can use it. You don't have to have a tech background, but it isn't solving everyone's problem. So you have to customize it for what your business is, what your product is, and what your needs are. We never felt like we could be a one-stop shop because every business is too unique. 
Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we have everything, we, really, whatever the need is, I, I think we have a solution. We have all, we have an entire marketing suite from Shopify email to uh, different partnerships and relationships with pretty much every social platform out there. We have, um, as I've mentioned, a full retail suite for bricks and mortar selling. We have shipping and fulfillment services, um, fulfillment we've just recently uh, dove into. We have uh, capital, starter loans, different ways we provide our merchants with working capital and fraud protect. So the, the suite of services that we offer our merchants are everything from just domain name, helping you figure out what to name your business and stock photography if you're a mom and pop and just getting started all the way up to the enterprise who need real customization around flash sales and things that are really going to test um, our platform in terms of engineering. And it seems like now you're you're taking the next step to increase platform discovery, right? So the shop app, which, which launched this week, you know, seems to, first of all, it's, it's, it's actually very clever to build something off of a notification-oriented app, right, to then help somebody yeah. then discover the next thing. But it's like now it seems that you're starting to dabble in these services to help some of these stores, you know, be, be discoverable. And so is yeah. this something that we can expect a little bit more of from you? Um, well, you know, the way we look at shop, which we launched yesterday, you know, we launched it with 16 million users and it's, it is both a, it's a platform that connects con consumers and businesses, but it, it's also uh, a tracking app. Um, so it helps you understand where your packages are in the world. We actually don't really look at it as a discovery platform. We look at it as a brand loyalty platform. So the, the way Shop works is, is if you've previously purchased from a Shopify merchant, those are the businesses that we will surface to you. I think there are plenty of platforms out there like Instagram that are very focused on discovery. But the, the problem with that is you pay a tax to be in front of the customer that you've already created a relationship with. So I've sold to you, Chad, my sneakers on my .com. But if I want to find you on Instagram, all of a sudden I have to start paying for advertising and yeah. beat the algorithm to be surfaced. We don't do that with shop. We don't take a commission. We don't ask you to pay. If I've shopped, if you've bought my sneakers, you will see me and you can follow me. We did fast track a shop local feature that is more discovery focused. And that was very much in response to COVID. Um, we want to make sure that in this time you can find the businesses that are around you. Um, but really it's about, it's much more about brand loyalty and allowing our merchants to deepen the existing relationships with their customers. So, you know, Shopify, we very much believe that the merchant needs to own the relationship with their customer. They need to own the data, they need to own the insights, and we are not going to get in the way of that relationship. Are the merchants, like especially merchants that aren't necessarily digital first, they're not digital first marketers, but now what's happening is that they, they are, you know, they're becoming digitally focused, right? They're understanding the fact that, you know, it, what's interesting is that they're, they're seeing how the sausage gets made in a little bit, right? It's like all of a sudden they're online. They have been an online consumer, but they've never been an online business owner. So are you seeing that businesses are are becoming more sophisticated based on a understanding the results of their online sales, but b starting to understand the basics of what do I need for customer attraction. Now all of a sudden they're, they they have an opinion about you know the high prices of advertising and competitive bidding when it comes to biddable environments and things like that. Oh, for sure. I mean, just like uh, a lot of our businesses, they're not CTOs, so they don't have tech backgrounds, so they don't they don't know how to 
do that piece of it. They're not marketers. Um, they wear a lot of hats. They are probably the store clerk, the inventory manager, you know, the, the accountant um, and the marketer. So that's why our job and our goal is to simplify marketing within our admin. You can really create your campaigns, manage them, and you've got all the backend insights and analytics. And I think it's a hockey stick for most of our merchants in terms of how smart they get. And that's why you saw the D2C movement grow so quickly through Shopify is because those brands knew their customers better than any um, big department store, better than any wholesaler, um, better than than you know the WalMarts of the world. It was the the Allbirds or the Livelys, you know, the all of these sort of big D 2 C brands that came from marketing directly to their customer and understanding the insights and the analytics behind that. Um, and so, you know, we we have created partnerships with everyone from Microsoft advertising to Google to all the various, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, um, that allow our merchants to very easily plug and play on marketing campaigns through those platforms um, so that it's all managed in one backend and they're not having to think about their marketing any more than, you know, is necessary. So they, they they are starting to now look at marketing as not necessarily something that is a nice to have. They're seeing it as a as a core component the core component of their flow, of their deal flow. Yeah, it's it's a necessity. And you are right. The ab- advertising is getting increasingly expensive. The algorithms are getting increasingly complicated. Um, it is definitely time and time again what we hear. It, it is the biggest pain point for our merchants is how do I reach my customer? Um, how do I tell them what I have when I have new product, when I have discounts, what have you? So it's, it's a core part of what we're always thinking about. Google, I don't know if you saw Google just announced that the um, they're offering the Google Shopping tab for free yeah. right now. So our response to that was to make sure that we were optimizing our admin so that our merchants could easily sync to that and be a part of that. So, right. you know, we, we are constantly responding to whatever, wherever we think our merchants need to be in terms of their marketing suite. In your, in just, just from your observations of, of what you've seen going on, how do you feel the confidence level of some of these merchants, uh, during during this crisis, especially the ones that are physical physical to digital, are they maintaining their advertising spends? They are. Yeah, I, I was surprised. We we do a we have been doing a daily data poll at Shopify since COVID started, and one of the first things we saw was a, a pretty significant uptrend in advertising spending, which was sort of it makes a lot of sense but intuitively i wasn't expecting to see that so we're spe- seeing ad spending on facebook and google that are at december 2019 levels so what a brand typically would invest during holiday period um we're seeing a lot they're, they're using a lot of discount codes around covid um so they are spending and, and it's coming back to them because we're also seeing a pretty significant uptick in consumers who have never bought from a shopify merchant so it's new spenders who are discovering them. But then we're also seeing, I think, like a 28% increase in repeat purchase. So that ad spend is paying off in brand loyalty and, and furthering that brand loyalty right now, which is going to be really critical uh, when we come out of this. What's interesting is that like some of the headwinds that are going against the consumers, which are like long shipping delays from, I mean, I'll just bring it up like with Amazon, for instance, <laughs> right? Like, like with Amazon deprioritizing non-essential products, people then, because of necessity, Right. They are now choosing other places to shop and buy things. So maybe that leads to some people discovering Shopify, Shopify merchants. And, and that could be a reason why things are also going up as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And we are seeing the Amazon shipping times are starting to slow by a few percentage points, whereas our Shopify merchants are speeding up. 
So we are seeing uh, some of some of our and on on average, most of our businesses have at least two channels they sell through. So no one is no one is typically like looking at just one one and only channel. But we are seeing a lot of businesses that are Amazon businesses pushing their efforts towards towards their Shopify store or opening a new one because frankly, there's just more predictability in shipping times, and that right now they need to get um, they need to get the product to the consumer if they're going right. to keep them. You know, you had mentioned to me uh, about how a lot of stores that have physical presence have kind of transformed the way that they're using these stores. So because they might be closed to customers, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're closed to the business and how and, and how they're using their space. Is there can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we see. I mean, that's that's definitely why we fast track the the retail um, offerings in terms of buy online and and uh, local delivery. They are you know, these stores are they're closed to us. We can't walk in but they're not close to the shop owner. So you have shop owners who are using um, using their stores now as studios. So I'll give you one example. There's a bakery um, that is Canada-based and they've pivoted their business. They opened up a, a store and now they're selling pasta kits. But in order to, to help the consumer understand how to use those kits, they've set up basically a YouTube channel in their store. So they're creating tutor- cooking tutorials, putting those up on uh, Instagram, YouTube, and promoting the product. So it's a full circle marketing campaign and, and e-commerce solution. So their store is fulfillment, their store is marketing, their store is content creation and production. Um, it's pretty cool, actually, to see how innovative these merchants are and, and how much they can kind of turn on a dime to find a solution. I think that just shows the passion of, of the, the maker community that we see. That's pretty. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, I've heard some stories about how uh, stores are turning into customer service centers, shipping centers, and and all of this. And I think I think um, you know, there's also something about that that people can use these space these places as safe spaces and and still be able to operate. But things like um, the app marketplace. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is that something where will the app marketplace be able to provide integrated services into the new into the new point of sale? Yeah, our, our partner ecosystem is is pretty massive and we work really closely with them on the early stages of our product to get them involved with our APIs and be able to really play around with it so that when we actually when the product goes live for the end user, the merchant, the partners, the developers, whoever it may be, are already building stuff on top of it that will help make it better or customize it for whatever the merchant needs are. Okay. So uh, earlier we were talking about that Shopify customers aren't necessarily just small stores and small businesses or individual entrepreneurs. There are a lot of big brands that you're working with, and I think people would be be quite surprised. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about some of those larger enterprise partners and then also some of the benefits as to why they've chosen to operate with Shopify? We definitely see big legacy brands who are looking to be more innovative and are sitting on legacy plat- inter- enterprise platforms that just can't do what they want want to do. So for example, we have Staples on our platform in Canada. So, you know, Staples felt like, look, we got to we got to brush off the dust and we have to innovate and so to do that we're going to have to move to a different platform. But more often than not, we will see big CPG brands, the Unilever, the P&Gs of the world, big alcohol brands like Miller Coors that will come to us to test and experiment, create new brands, craft brands that are really focused on competing with the D2C movement. So it might be I'm a I'm a beer brand and I want to spin up a what looks like a, a really cool millennial focused craft beer brand. 
I can't, if I'm sitting at Miller Coors, I'm going to spend a year in an ITQ trying to get this thing built. And then I'm not going to be able to iterate and, and experiment with it, right? It's going to just exist. We can do that for them and we can do it and really customize it and, and handhold. We just, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we got uh, Heinz on our platform within seven days. Um, you know, Heinz is like a lot of these wholesale brands uh, that they they need a, a new outlet. So, and Lent, the chocolate brand, 100-year-old chocolate brand, we got them on our platform in five days. So, so we can move at a speed that big companies just can't move at and big company IT departments can't move. Is it is the five days or the seven days, is most of that time spent on the general appearances and opinions or is it all <laughs> IT logistics? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it might be it might be three days of contract negotiations and, and two days of build. I'm not sure. <laughs> but what's interesting though is that is that I feel like for some of these large brands, Shopify is this it was this wonderful experiment for them to basically prove a model out. And you know, as more and more brands adopt the you know agile methodologies and and ways where they basically say what if scenarios and they try something out. And my colleague Adam always likes to talk about like one of the reasons why Zoom is so successful is because it's so easy to use and it fits right underneath an expense expense threshold. Yeah. So nobody ever questions it. So it's kind yeah. of like you could just take a concept, launch a store, take some orders, and just see if something is successful or not. And so that's a great position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I also think like having, um, top engineering talent that is right there helping you and supporting you. I don't think you get that level of attention and service when it comes to development and build. If you're a brand manager at a big company, like you're just not going to get the ability to have that dialogue of customization. What do you need to make this work? And what, what like, can really our team really brainstorms like what what can we do with the platform to test it? I think our engineering team loves the challenge. So if if we are given something that could actually potentially break us, they're thrilled by that. So if we're going to start seeing twenty thirty and twenty twenty, um, what are some of the things that we can you know expect to see from from Shopify? Are we going to see more apps, more focuses on discovery, more loyalty? Um, you, you also had mentioned the capital program, which I think is a fascinating idea. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, sure. Um, capital is uh, part of the financial services that we offer. Um, we actually, as part of COVID, we previously just offered it in the U.S., but as part of, part of COVID, we worked with the government to fast track it and some, some other partners to fast track it in the U.K. and Canada. It's essentially a cash advance. So, you know, right now you're going to see businesses that are struggling, have a really hard time getting access to capital and to loans. Um, so what we do is provide a cash advance on sales. So you don't, you are not paying it back until you're starting to make sales. Um, so it's not a loan. Um, and it's, you know, I think we, we do anything from $500 up to half a million. So that the the variance is very wide depending on what you need, um, and and we think it's really important. And I think in terms of you know what you'll see more from us is is essentially anything that removes friction. So it, whether that be technology, whether that be financial, even emotional, we do, we put a lot of effort into education tools and resources and webinars to make sure that um, emotionally people are supported and feel. You know, it's a really hard thing to be an entrepreneur and be a small business. I think you'll see, you know, cross-border commerce and the breaking down of the the the, the sort of perceived border of commerce. You're going to see more of that from us as we continue to expand our international business and, and make sure that our product is adapting to the cultural nuances of how people do commerce across the world. You know, in some place like India, 
Um, they don't use credit cards and debit cards. It's cash on delivery. So our platform has to adapt to that, those kind of things. In China, it's all through WeChat. So you'll see more of that. And, and I think in just in general, anything that connects the merchant to the customer allows them to own that relationship in a, in a very low-touch, multi-channel way, you'll see from us. Is there an effort or an observation about some of these new emerging platforms for commerce? So on one hand, we're seeing we're seeing all the social channels start to embrace commerce a little bit more. Some of them are doing it better than others. We're also seeing ad formats that are becoming a little bit more shoppable. We're seeing video become a little bit more shoppable. But then at the same time, we're seeing more influencers. Like, like the influencer game is, is is interesting just because of the fact that influencers have primarily made money through posts. But then there's been a, a huge rush into, into influencers as affiliates. Are these all areas that you guys are looking at and is there are, are there efforts in, in play? In, in terms of social commerce um, and commerce expanding into different channels, our view is always we don't take a, a competitive or, or territorial view of it. Like for us, if the, it is a place that our merchants can find their buyer, then it's a place that we need to solve, create a technology solution to connect them into it. So we have partnerships with literally every social platform from Snap to Instant to Pinterest. Um, we have global partnerships with platforms like Rakuten in Japan or eBay in Germany. So we're, we're very agnostic when it comes um, to where commerce happens. We're sort of the connector and, and we believe like that, creates merchant success, which obviously creates success for us and, and um, Shopify. So would you say that you're always on the active lookout to find out where the next source of demand is going to come from? Yeah, for sure. And we're, you know, we have, we have deep relationships with, with all the, the Facebooks and the Googles and, you know, all, all the various players out there. <laughs> All right. So Amy, as we're wrapping up, we're going to hit you up for some advice. So if you're a physical brand who's struggled with digital transformation, what are what are my must-do tactics to maintain relevancy and keep my customers right now? Um, that's a good question. I, I think, well, first of all, if you're a physical brand and you don't have uh, an online presence, that's obviously step number one and do it like yesterday um, and don't overthink it. I think, you know, physical brands know their customer better than anybody, but they don't necessarily, they know it by gut and emotion. They don't necessarily have the analytics that they can get if they have e-commerce. So to me, it's right now, it's really important to move with speed and simplicity. You know, that you take the example of, of the, the tulip farm that I talked about. Those guys did not create a fancy website. They got online very quickly and they're, they know enough about their customer to know like, they're probably somebody who just wants a selection of tulips for a certain price point easily delivered and quickly delivered to them. And so that's what they did. So um, that's my advice. And then the second piece of advice is marketing. And, and and that's, we've talked a lot about marketing. That's the, that's the key to the kingdom, right? Like make sure, invest in marketing, um, invest in multiple channels, see what works, iterate on it, use analytics to inform you and, and just keep at it. So at the same time, if you're a large brand, so big, you have data coming from all over the place. What's the and if I just want to get going with Shopify, how do I do it? <laughs> you call Shopify Plus is our enterprise uh, side, so you call the Shopify Plus sales team, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll get you started right away. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, uh, on the for the bigger enterprise brands, usually more often than not, we have a, a our partners, um, service partners. There's a lot of them that focus just on plus brands, and they usually have a lot of specialization and customization that needs to happen. Um, so that's usually the route in is to work with a partner. Um, and we've got a, a lot of great ones that we sort of say, like, these are sort of Shopify approved, work with a partner, figure out what you need, um, for your product offering and what you're going to do or, or come to us direct and, and we'll help you figure it out. Does the Shopify plus team have a tremendous amount of sensitivity as to how existing large organizations have run their business electronically and know how to transform them and take them and take them on the shop, the Shopify path? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we're doing it more and more. I think uh, the Shopify plus business was a, the genesis of it was more about brands that became incredibly D2C brands became incredibly successful, um, bigger and bigger multi-million dollar brands and needed to level up into stores that were more complex. Now what we're seeing is not the D2C growth, but the big multi-multi-billion dollar brands that need to re-platform themselves, or as we talked about before, want to experiment on something new. Well, this has been great. And Amy, I know that you're very busy. I know Shopify is very busy, and uh, we're all very thankful for you to spend some time with us. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having me, Chad. It's been a lot of fun. Well, Chad, Amy, thank you so much for that great conversation. So this Friday, remember to check out the Office Hour stream on Twitch with the IPG Media Labs Partnerships team. So go check that out and you can find the lab on social at IPG Lab for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then go check out ipglab.com for our website. Sign up for our newsletter. It's fantastic. So as always, thank you. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next week. Music.